Amen. Thank you. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and grab it and turn with me to John chapter 9. While you're turning there, if you're, if you're wondering uh, where you've heard that song before, you, you haven't. You haven't. Um, it didn't exist until Tuesday of this week. Um, I, I'll tell you, one of the greatest privileges we have uh, as God's people is obviously to join together and, and worship. Uh, there's, there's no denying that. Each week, I hope you notice, for those of you who are here week after week, how intentional the music is, uh, that, it, that it sets the, the table for us, so to speak. And I've told Gregory repeatedly um, that, honestly, I should wait to write a sermon until after we've done the music, <clears throat> because um, I always want to change about half of it after we've, because it, it tunes us to the passage so well. And uh, this week, I, I know, and, and he, he does not want me to tell you this, but uh, I know that he was working to find the right song uh, to lead into this passage, and he couldn't find one, and so he just wrote one. And uh, so there you have it. You sang the first time that song's ever been sung because our boy wrote it this week on a random Tuesday night. Anyway, uh, he is incredibly talented, and the musicians who help lead us every week, man, we're spoiled. So uh, anyway... That's a good thing. I'm going to hold it together and not get weepy or try to. Anyway, that's uh, anyway. Sorry. If we are we are Bible people here, um, if you don't know that, I, I hope that will become clear. If you visit with us week after week after week, it's why we sing the Bible every week by literally singing a psalm. Uh, we want to be uh, uh, obedient to our calling as God's people, uh, and so what that means is is that we. We believe that God has spoken to us in His Word and that His, His Word is our rule for life. It tells us what we are to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man, um, and that our chief end, right? This is the way our catechism says it. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says, Our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Uh, that's the apex, right? That's the pinnacle of our existence. And so as, as Bible people here, we, we want to lean into his word. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there should be one on the bottom of one of these chairs around you. If you don't own a Bible, you, you, you can have one. That's our gift to you. We want you to have a Bible in your hand. So what I'd like to do now is just jump into God's word. Would you stand with me uh, now? Leaning into the word of God to teach us... Uh, to teach us this morning. Let us tune our ears in this moment to hear from the word of our Lord. This is John 9, starting in verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, 
The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we... God, we come in here with all sorts of distractions from this week. A week that never really had a rhythm. A week thrown off by by real tangible storms, uh, a week where we've seen, uh, at least in some parts of our state and, and, and definitely in other states, that our brothers and sisters have suffered great loss. And so we are grateful this morning that you have uh, preserved us, that you have enabled us to come and join your people in worship. And we thank you that you are, are here with us now, that your Holy Spirit is here and present. So we ask that you would do your work amongst us, Lord, that you would open our eyes that we might see you, that you would unstop our ears that we might hear from you, Lord, that you would awaken our souls this morning to know you, to love you, and to serve you. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. At various uh, times over the last nine months or so, um, we've talked about four basic questions uh, that everyone asks at some point on this journey through life. Uh, and, and what I contend is that it's not a matter of if these questions will be asked, but, but when uh, they'll be asked. And there's, and there's great variety in that, at least in terms of timing. Like, like they may come at different times and different seasons in the life of people, but but eventually they, they will all ask them. And they're all framed around the same basic structure. It's, it's, uh, the first one is simply, how did it all start? How did all of this come to be? Uh, we find ourselves in creation. We understand that all of this came from somewhere, that all of this is real, and that we exist in this reality with all of its beauty, with all of its creativity, with all of its, with all of its intricacy and all of its diversity. We recognize that. We recognize that we exist here, and we understand that here exists, and so we ask, how did it all start? If this is here, where did it all come from? The second is that when we look around, and we see all the beauty, we see all the creativity, we see all the intricacy, we see all the diversity, we also recognize that when we see this world, we see it in a fractured state, because we also see pain. We see hurt, we see brokenness, we see sadness, and beyond seeing those things in a sort of disconnected way, we, we understand those things because we, we experience them. We know them. We know loss, we know fear, we know doubt, we know, we know these things. And we recognize that these, these things mean that, that things are not the way they're supposed to be. Um... And as John has pointed out, and Jesus constantly mentions, there is a darkness here in this world. And so we ask the question, what went wrong? We ask, how did it all start? And when we ask, what went wrong? Because we know it's broken. The question, that question takes some time to get through, and usually with the, with the awareness that we are not just witnesses to the problem, but that we are actually a, a part of the problem, that we don't just see that there's brokenness in the world, but we actually carry brokenness into the world with us, the next question that we typically ask is, who is going to fix it? When faced with the reality that we can't put it back together, 
Despite our best efforts, for the record, most of us try really, really hard to put the brokenness back together. That's why people protest everything in the world today. Because we think if, that we can somehow fix this. And it just drives us to that question, who is going to fix it? We know we can't do it, so who is going to? And then finally, we will all ask at some point uh, the simple question, how does it all end? How does it all end? What becomes, not just of me, but of, like, of everything? Because all of this must be going somewhere. Those are the questions. Those are just basic questions. They're formation questions about how things happen and how things are happening uh, even today. And one of the next steps that we can take, sort of, sort of a nuanced angle in how we approach those questions, is we can reframe the whole idea by asking, by asking why. Like, like, why did it all start? It doesn't fundamentally change the whole, the whole line of thinking. Like it doesn't change even the answers. But by asking why did it all start, we're getting to the heart of something very important. You see, when, when we ask how did it all start, we know because we've, lots of us are familiar with this idea that God created the heavens and the earth, Right? I mean, that's, that's page one of the Bible. In fact, that's verse one of the Bible, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? We know that one. We don't have to go digging into our Bible real far to find that one. Page one, verse one. He created the heavens and the earth, but why did it all start? Why did he create it? See, that's a purpose question. That's a purpose question. If we ask, why did it all start? We're asking the question, what is it all for? What is the purpose for which God created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them? Today, today we're going to look at three things in this passage, and I'm going to give them to you up front. Part of that is because last week, if you were here, you know that I talked for a really, really long time. Um, and I apologize for that. I've apologized to pretty much everybody for that. Uh, we went real long last week, and I'm going to try everything I can to stay on course today. All right, that's, that's goal number one. But the other is I want you to be very clear about where we're going today. Now, we're talking about a man who was blind. I want to make sure that you can see from the beginning where we're trying to get to. And so today we're looking at three things. We're going to see them in this passage. We're going to see the problem, we're going to see the remedy, and we are going to see the witness. Those are the three things. If you're note takers, just go ahead and jot those three words down and you'll have it. Problem, remedy, and witness. Those are the three things. Those are the banners under which we're going to approach this passage this morning. So let's start with the problem. Look back at verse 1 with me. This is 9-1. We're told there that as he passed by, okay, that's Jesus passing by. If it's your first week with us, we go straight through books of the Bible. Last week, John 8, we saw Jesus talking in the temple. Now he's left the temple and he is passing by. Uh, he is passing by and he saw a blind man, uh, a man blind from birth. A man blind from birth. Jesus notices this man. He, he sees this man who cannot see. And beyond that, his disciples see him too. And so this gives us a very tangible picture of something that has gone wrong. Something that is broken. Jesus saw the man. The disciples saw the man. But the man cannot see. And the depth of his blindness is that, is that not only is he unable to see, he has never been able to see. He has been blind from birth. In fact, literally the word there is from the beginning. That's, that's the way that word is written there in the original language. He's been blind from the beginning. 
And this inspires a question from his disciples in verse 2 that really seems sort of weird to me. His disciples ask him, you can see this there. He said, they say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Okay, so, so they look at this, and they're seeing it in sort of a cause and effect relationship. They're approaching this from the position of, of this condition that this man is in is the result of uh, some, uh, not just sin in a general sense, but in a particular sense, like a particular result of, of a sin. Now, that's, that's not normally a question that I think to ask when I see a blind man or, or anyone dealing with any sort of like physical limitations. I mean, I have never gone into the hospital to visit somebody who's had like rotator cuff surgery and ask them what sin they're guilty of that has required this surgery. I've never gone and seen someone who's had a heart attack and gone, have you repented? Like, I've, I've, I mean, I'm not saying that they don't need to repent, okay? The person with the heart attack probably has reasons to repent, but I've never gone, look, there's some particular sin that you're guilty of that now means you need to repent. And this is God telling you that by putting you in a hospital bed. That's not, I've never assumed that a torn rotator cuff was a result of some particular sin. And even with something like blindness, something, something more terminal, this isn't the type of question I would naturally ask. I mean, I might ask what happened to him, you know, what happened to you to leave you in this condition? What happened to him to cause the blindness? But I don't normally drift over into the lane of him being guilty of some particular sin having this particular effect. But for the Jews of that time, that was a popular way of thinking. It was, if it, was, it, was, it was these problems, right, that, that caused them to wonder what sort of sin this person was guilty of. And, and listen, blindness is a problem. I mean, that's a tangible problem, okay? If you know me... Uh, you know that I spent a little bit of time in construction, and as a result of that, I'm, I'm really weird about eyes. Um, a lot of my time was spent going up into ceilings, and stuff always falls out of ceilings, and I never learned to train myself not to look up immediately at what was going to fall down. I just couldn't help it. And so you remove the ceiling tile, and you're looking up like a, like a moron, just waiting for all the dust and particles and all that stuff to fall in your eyes, and I didn't think to wear safety glasses because I was part of the generation just before people started being safe about things, and, and I didn't have a respirator, so you're breathing it in, you're taking it, and I'm weird about eyes. I don't, I, I know you only get one set of eyes, you know, and if you lose those, basically, their treatment for you is you get a stick, you know, that's the, you get a stick to walk around, and if you're lucky enough or wealthy enough to afford it, they might give you a dog to drag you around, and so I'm, I'm weird about eyes, because you only get one shot at those. There's no, there's no There's no second chances when it comes to those. To have eyes and to not be able to see is a problem. And so it begs the question, what went wrong? And while they do seem to be a little off track here, um, they also seem to understand that when we ask what went wrong, the what that went wrong is sin. Sin is what went wrong. And there are three possibilities at work here. The first is that that it is the result of the sin of, of this man. There, there's no denying that there are some sins that have very specific results. There is a cause and effect reality as it relates to particular sin. Like if you sin by stealing things, if you're, one of, if you're someone who steals things, the result will be that you go, you go to jail, right? I mean, that hopefully. 
and you'll think about what you've done, right? That's it's like a big time out. The other one might be that if you sin by lying to people all the time, the result will be nobody will trust you. Nobody will take you at your word. There are particular effects for particular sins. In fact, Ezekiel 18.4 says, The soul who sins shall die. And we know that God told uh, told Adam that of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And we know how that all worked out. Those are real effects related to the particular sins of an individual, and we could go on. And so the, their question isn't, it's not totally ridiculous. The next possibility is that this is the result of the parents. And I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here, especially because I know we've got young ears in the room, but there are certain sins, certain acts of uh, promiscuity especially, that can lead to physical effects on children born either from those relationships or to one of the parents who had been involved in that type of a relationship. But that's not what we have here. We don't have the parent's sin. We don't have the particular individual sin. What we see here is that the blindness of this man is a result of the sin of Adam. It's the sin of our first parent. Romans 5.12 tells us that just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. And, and, and listen, that sin didn't just impact the lives of people. If you see in Romans, in Romans 8.22 that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Listen, it's all been broken. All of it. Everything. The anthem of the world apart from Christ is, is a song of agony. It's the whirling of the hurricane, right? That's the song of the sin at work. It's the clanging of the tornado, it's the snapping of the trees, it's the clapping of the thunderstorm, like like the anthem of the fallen world is the screeching of the tires that won't quite stop in time. And it's the sound of the sirens of the ambulance coming right behind, it's the tears of the hurting when the test, when the test comes back positive. And I'll be honest with you, some of the some of the most painful cries of brokenness have been when the test will not come back positive. The man's blindness is a chorus of the brokenness that results from sin. And Jesus steps into that. And he says this. This is verse 3. Look at that. He says, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So, So Jesus sees this man. He's not blind to his circumstances. He, he understands it. And, and while the disciples focused on the question of how did this man get to be this way, Jesus focused on the question of what can we do for him? The disciples focused on the problem. Jesus set his gaze in the direction of the remedy. I've heard it said that there are three possible responses that a person might have when encountering a new person. I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but every time you meet a new person, there's, there's sort of three basic emotions uh, that, are, that are possible. The first is, is, is envy. And I know that one's not comfortable, but when we meet somebody, we immediately begin to analyze what they have. And so envy is one of those that can come. And if we aren't careful, if our eyes are too focused on ourselves, this one can easily happen. We can 
And, and we see it. We see it constantly with the Pharisees. We see it with the Jewish people throughout the life of Jesus. There's an envy to it. They don't like him, but it's not because of what he's saying. It's not because of what he's doing. It's just because of how people are responding to him. The next is curiosity. It's that we're intrigued. We just want to know a little more about the person. There's sort of a novelty at this point, right? That's the response of, that we see from the people towards Jesus throughout the Gospel of John. There's this curiosity about him in his earthly ministry. And the curiosity says, I either want to know more about you now or I'm going to set time apart to come and know some more about you later. But, but we've got to find out something more. The third response is simply that of love. It's to see the person with the eyes of God. It's to know that regardless of circumstance, that person is an image bearer of God. It's to see them as a neighbor and to love them as ourselves. That's the third way. It's love. And, and that's the way we see Jesus responding to the blind beggar here. One who has nothing to envy and one who might ordinarily be completely ignored or, or actively avoided. Jesus sees this man, and instead of focusing on the past problem, he answers the question of who is going to fix it. He says this, this is it. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Look at four. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I and the light of the world. Jesus sees this as an opportunity for the glory of God. And that brings us back to that question from the beginning. We asked how it all started, and we answered that by saying God started it all, right? He declared it. He, he, he started it all, he made it all, and he declared it very good. And then we asked what went wrong, and, and we would say that what went wrong is sin came into the world and fractured the relationship between God and his creation, and we see the tangible results of that fracture all around us. We don't, have to, we don't have to look hard. And so what that means is that how it all started is not how it is now. It was very good. Now it's broken. But our other question was, why did it all start? Why did it all start? And, and what we would say is that it all started, okay, the, the purpose behind it, the purpose for all of this, everything that we see, it was for the singular purpose of the glory of God. And that hasn't changed. You see, the why hasn't changed in any of this. While creation went from being very good to broken, the purpose of creation is unchanging. It's still the same today. It's for the glory of God. That's what the heavens declare, right? Isn't that what Psalm 19.1 tells us? That the heavens declare the glory of God? That's an active reality. It happens now when, when, the, when the people of God join their voices together. As we gathered together this morning and join our voices, uh, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, it, that is a declaring together of the glory of God. It's a fulfilling of the purpose of creation. And so Jesus sees this man. And he sees an opportunity to manifest the glory of God in real space, in real time. He sees an opportunity to infuse fallen creation with the remedy for the problem of sin by shining light into the darkness. Listen, the miracle in itself is profound. 
Um, and, and most commentaries and most people you hear preach on this passage, they'll spend, they'll spend a lot of time talking about how this man was blind from birth and, the, and what that really means. I, I've even ha- I had a conversation with an ophthalmologist this week, and he was like, man, this is the passage, right? He was fired up. He's like, this is where we, this is where we camp out for Christian ophthalmologists. Anyway, anyway, I didn't get like half the jokes. He was talking science stuff, and it was... Whew. Anyway, um, it's an incredible display of God's power. And John's detail here is impressive, but just, just look at this. Look at verse 6. It says, Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And so he went away and washed and came back seeing. Can, can you imagine this scene for just a second? Like, imagine being one of his disciples in this moment as Jesus put mud made out of his spit on a blind man. I mean, this is out in public. This is not in a back corner. It's not in a house. This is out on the street where people are walking by. And listen, there has never been a point in human history when, when putting your spit on another person was considered a good thing. Like, that's, there's never been a moment where that was an acceptable practice. This is an awkward moment. It's uncomfortable. Jesus is, I, I can't bring somebody up here, but Jesus is touching this man's face. You, you know, to touch somebody's face, you can feel their breath on you. You know they're, they're, you're, you're, he's, he's this close to someone and he's wiping mud on his eyes that he made with his spit. I mean, if you're one of the disciples at that point, you're going, ah, uh, you know, I th- he's on his own here. I got family members that if you even threaten to touch their eyeball, they run out the room. Right, you try and give somebody like you have friends, and you might even be one. It's okay that if somebody tells you that you have to get eye drops, you're like, just take my eyes. Contacts are not an option. Not getting close to that, right? And this man, Jesus here, is rubbing mud formed with his own saliva on this man's eyes. This is an awkward, intimate moment. Imagine the blind man's position in all of this. I read a this week in a commentary on this passage that presented this man as as being one who would have been sitting there going, why me, God? Like shaking his fist at the heavens. Why did you make me this way? But but I'm not not sure that's a fair assessment, honestly. And and I hate to disagree with people who are a lot smarter than me, but I really disagreed with, with this take on this passage. I really don't think that's how we're to see this man because it's really hard to miss something you've never had. It's difficult to miss something that we never knew was lacking. This man, this wasn't a man who had lost something. He didn't have the past experience of sight to compare with his present condition. He was blind from birth. He was a man who had, who had never had the thing he was missing. And so he had no concept of, of green. He had no concept of blue or of shade and shadows. The light of the sun was mythological to him at best. It was an idea, never a reality. It was all he had ever known. This, like, this was his normal. In, in fact, if you pay close attention, 
you'll notice in this passage that the man, it wasn't him who reached out to Jesus at all. In fact, he didn't call Jesus' name. He didn't say, hey, I've heard about you. I think you might be able to help me out. He didn't even ask to receive anything. It was Jesus who saw him and then in love moved towards him. You see, that's where we find ourselves in the story. For so many of us in the world, we go about as, as blind men. I mean, we can see physically. Our eyeballs work. But our hearts are blind to our reality. Because, well, because blindness is all we've ever known. The darkness of sin is our normal. And in a, re, in a, really, in a really weird way, the darkness of sin is our home. But that's where Jesus steps in. You see, that's where the light of the world comes in. He sees us, just like he saw this this man, and, and he steps into the darkness of our normal as the light of the world, as he is claimed to be, to do the works of the Father who sent him. And, and through his love and through his compassion, he beckons the blind to see in order to, as he says, display the glory of God in and through his works. Jesus was not just healing this man. He was validating his witness. He was demonstrating to all who were there, primarily his disciples and the blind man, that he is who he says he is. You see, Jesus is the remedy. He is the one who's going to fix it. He is the light who shines in the darkness. He had claimed that. He had had talked about that. Here he is demonstrating that. He is the remedy. He is the one who sees our brokenness. He sees our pain. He sees our darkness, and he offers the light of life. That's what Jesus is talking about in verse 4. That's the work that he had come to do in his earthly ministry. And what he knows, what he knows is that night is coming. You see, that's what happened when the light of the world went to the cross of Calvary. Even here, at this point, Jesus is pointing us forward to this moment when he would pay the penalty for our sins, when he would die as our substitute so that we might be saved through his sacrifice. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, when he was cursed, when he died, what we know is that, is that darkness fell. Uh, The way Mark describes it, it it says that there was darkness over the whole land. And even historically, uh, we know that some sort of solar phenomenon occurred on that day. Like, you don't have to just read the Bible for that. Like, historically, Roman records will indicate that there was this weird sort of solar event that took place at this point in history. It was a literal darkness representing the spiritual darkness that was falling in that moment. And you see, that's the problem for us. The problem for us is that we start off blind. Like, that's our default position. That's how we come from the factory, okay? We come come blind. That remedy, though, is Jesus himself, who steps in with love, steps in with compassion, sees us in our blindness, sees us in the darkness, sees us in our trouble, and he shines his light into that darkness giving us peace for today, right? Giving us hope for tomorrow. And the truth of the matter is that is that is the witness. 
the witness is the remedy. The remedy is the witness. So many times our stories are about what we do. What does you see the blind man say at the end of this passage? They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They asked him, how did you come to see? He said, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. That's all he knows. All he knows is Jesus. John Frame said, when God illumines us to receive the truth, it's like creation ex nihilo. That's creation out of nothing. For before God's creative word, there was no light in us. We were darkness. What we're seeing here is what we might call a glimpse of recreation. It's the beginnings of God making all things new. That when he sees blindness, when he sees darkness, he shines light in it. Listen, if you've been given eyes to see, you have, re- you have received a greater and more profound grace than this blind man receiving his sight. You have been brought into the family of God. And now when he sees you, he doesn't see a blind beggar. He doesn't see a curious disciple. He doesn't see an envious Pharisee. Now when he sees you, he sees a beloved child. One who he prepares a room for. One who he makes space for at his table. One who he provides for. You are one in whom his heart takes joy. And listen, we know our time here is limited on this earth. We will all be called at at some point to go home. So, So while we are here, we're called to do the works of him who sends us, right? That's what Jesus says. We only have a limited amount of time to do that. And there's no greater demonstration of love for our neighbor than to share that light with them, you know, that they might see that they might become another witness of the display of the glory of God. I mean, that's why we're here. That's the why. How did it all start? God made it all. What went wrong? Sin happened. Who's going to fix it? Jesus is the remedy. How does it all end? It ends in the glory of God. Our role is to bring other people into that witness. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for saving. God, I thank you for seeing someone like me, someone blind, someone deaf, someone dumb, and coming and saving us. Knowing that we can't earn this gift, but it's a grace that you give to us. Lord, we we confess that, or I confess that I take it for granted. I walk around as though it's something I deserve. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and convict my heart this week. Come and remind me of who I am in you and remind your people of who we are in you. And we are your people, the sheep of your pasture. And that you are great enough that you deserve all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor. Help us to live that this week. In Jesus' name, amen.